0: Take our Bibles, please, and turn tonight to um Colossians chapter three. Looking at another message on the subject of issues of life, things that pertain to our life, and life continues to be the issue. And obviously we all have one, and we're all living a life, and so course the Bible has a lot to say because life is important and how we live our life is very important to the Lord. He cares about that and he has provided through Jesus Christ the the best life that anybody could possibly have on this earth. And so tonight just four verses from Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. So please follow along. I'll read those and then pray and then we'll get into the message um, for tonight. But the passage begins, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And so we have in verse three and verse four, the word life. And so it's very important what it says in this passage about our life. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much tonight for the word of God and the great privilege that we have of looking into it. We we do thank thee. We do not take for granted the freedom that we still have, the liberty we still have to meet together. And we ask again this evening for the help and blessing of the Holy Spirit and also... Father, that same spirit to bless the word of God uh, throughout this country and around the world and that this Lord's day has been and will continue to be a day of great victory for the cause of Christ. And so Lord, bless us, encourage us, equip us to continue uh, living for thee, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, do you remember what your life was like before you were saved um, before you were risen with Christ. And some of us were saved at a very young age, and so it's getting harder to remember back in those days. Um, but even if we're saved at a young age, I, I, I really I believe that we all, I know I can, even though I was only like eight years old, um, I can remember things I did by the, by the age of eight years old, sins that I had committed already. And so... So, but, but do you remember? Do we remember? Do we remember what life was like before we were saved? Before, as the Bible says here, before you were risen with Christ. And that's another term that refers to our salvation. We'll enlarge upon it a little bit through the message tonight. Um, I have not met a whole lot of people. I suppose it's, it has to be in the thousands over the years that we've, I'm sure, maybe with you too but um, because they've had opportunity to travel and different, some a little bit in this country, um, I made a list, I can't remember, I should have brought it with me, but <clears throat> how the Lord has op- or privileged me with opportunities. I, I believe I preached in about 25 states, something like that, a couple of foreign countries, and, and of course just doing that, met thousands of people. I said all that to say this, I've never talked to one Christian who said, I really regret being saved. I really liked my life better as a sinner. Now, somebody says that there's, there's something dreadfully wrong, but I've never met anybody like that. Um, you know, I've talked to people at near the end of their life and they regretted not doing more, not living for the Lord, but I've never met anybody who even on their dying bed who was saved and served God, and I have had that opportunity to be at the bedside of a, of a few people, a few believers as they... Drew their last breath, and some we were talking almost until the moment they died, and not one ever said, "I regret living for the Lord." Right? And so, nobody that has any any real spiritual appetite or any sense at all would ever say that that they liked it better when they were lost. I mean, that's that's crazy. But anyway, but so the Apostle Paul gives us here these four verses, a precious passage of Scripture. Has a lot of what I like to call life truth in it for us as a guide for our life, all right? And some of you have lived, have served, lived for the Lord for many years, and so this is going to be, you know, very familiar and maybe hopefully a reminder of just what how great the Lord has been to us. But maybe some of us have not. So um, let's see, let's look at it, and I trust God we use it in our lives. So first of all. Uh, Simply this, risen with Christ, that that phrase there in verse 1, risen with Christ, and this begins by saying, if ye then be risen with Christ. Now the, the word if, there's the idea of if this is a reality, and actually the word used here for if is almost the word like since, or because it's true that you have been risen with Christ, then this follows. And of course, risen with Christ is a, is a word for our, that refers to our salvation, that it is a birth, it's a, it's a new life, and there is an identification with the resurrection of Christ. And so with that in mind, let's look at a couple things about being risen with Christ. First of all, I ask the question, do you remember what your life was like before you were saved? And so first want gonna take a look at just a little bit as kind of review, is what we were, what we were before B.C., before Christ, or before conversion. Just two verses. Let's take a look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Um, again, verse few verses of scripture, but precious. Um, and the Lord Jesus Christ, in the midst of his earthly ministry, in the midst of opposition, that he was already facing, he stood before the multitudes, and boldly, proclaim the truth and boldly proclaim what he came to offer. Of course, which was salvation, eternal life. So in John chapter 5, and verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is past, is passed, from death unto life. And I emphasize the word and the word is because those are both in the present tense. So the moment that you were saved, the moment you realized that you needed a Savior and were a sinner and bowed and prayed and called upon the name of the Lord to save you, 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 at that instant you passed or you got everlasting life. Your everlasting life began and you passed from death onto life. Now, obviously, it's not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. And that ended for us. The moment that we're saved, our spiritual death ended. Right? And our e- eternal life began. And so then, of course, our when we die, <coughs> or when the rapture comes, our eternal life just continues on a higher plane. Praise the Lord for that. But, so there's no condemnation. And we praise the Lord for that as well. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, because that spells it out a little bit even clearer, uh, really now, what we were before. What we were before we were saved, before we were risen. So Ephesians chapter two. And we're just gonna look, we'll look right now at the, at the first three verses, then we're gonna continue when we come to the next item we wanna consider. For what we were was dead in sin. And you have to quickened, Ephesians 2.1, that is, made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Notice plural, trespasses and sins. And we, if we think about that, we would certainly agree with the hymn writer who said, my sins they were many, like the sands of the sea, but thy blood of my Savior is sufficient for me. And so our sins were many. Um, even as a young boy, I can remember having certain sins that I, was, I knew about. I knew they were wrong. And, and uh, I, one of the sins I had as a, as a young fellow was a very filthy mouth. And I hate that today. I hate to see little children using cuss words, but I did that when I was a 7 8. And I, my excuse was that I was playing with older kids and they did that, so I wanted to be tough and be big. And so I did that, but I knew it was wrong. And And so, again, even as a young boy, we we've committed sins. We committed sin. I committed sins. Now, now, if a sinner, if a person would admit, I brought this up um, several years ago. um, If you were, if you would admit that you committed one sin a day, by the time you were seventy years old, you will have committed over twenty-five thousand sins, just one a day. So that's when the songwriter said, "My sins were many." As the sands of the sea, he's not exaggerating. Just think about that. Um, And so, yes, we were dead, trespassing sin. Notice this, verse two: wherein, in time past, ye walked. Talked about Elizabeth and Zacharias this morning in Luke, how they walked according to the command, all the commandments of the Lord, blameless. So their lifestyle, their conduct, was in in a direction of godliness. But before we were saved we walked. In other words, we conducted our lives. According to the prince of the power of the air, we were led along by the devil, whether we knew or not. I didn't. I don't think I knew that before I was saved. Um, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. In other words, those that continue to walk in sin. They're being led by the devil. Whether they're, whether they're not saved or whether they... Profess to be saved or even are saved, there's still that possibility of walking not according to the Lord, but according to the Prince of our year, um children of disobedience. Now verse 3, among whom also, by the way, if a Christian does that, they can't do it very long before God intervenes through chastening. And that's the thing that disturbs me, the um, Sometimes when um, I talk to somebody or I'm aware of somebody who claims to be a Christian, they don't read the Bible, they don't pray, they don't go to church, they don't do anything that the Bible says a Christian could, should do and yet they just seem to sail right along. Nothing seems to ever go wrong in their lives and, and that's, that's a problem because the Bible says if we're a Christian and we, and we, and we sin, God's going to chasten us. God's going to correct us. And so the Bible says in Hebrews, if you're without chastisement, then what are you? It says you're a bastard. In other words, you're, 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 you're not a child of God. All right? I know that word is used a bad way to say but you know what? I don't really care. A word that's in the Bible is a, is a word to use. Whatever you think. Anyway, I do care, but you know what I mean. So we had our conversation, that is our conduct, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So, in other words, before a person is saved, their life is just is all about themselves, whatever they want, whatever they desire. And we're by nature, and here's where there's where we there's that old nature that we talk about, we're by nature the children of Wrath, even as others. And uh, obviously you, you realize. One of the greatest proofs for the truth of that is children. And you, ne- you don't have to teach children to do wrong. Maybe when your kids are little, did you ever wonder, where did they get that? Well, they got it from their nature. Right? But what we do have to do, you have to teach them to do right. You know, and only, a, only a, a, a terrible parent would teach their children to do wrong. I suppose there's some to do that. I've known young people over the years, a couple of them, that their parents actually coached them to steal. And that's a whole lot of stuff. That's bad. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to teach kids to do wrong. And uh, you have to teach them to do right. Why? Because we do wrong by nature. Because it's our nature. Why does a hog go in the mud? Because it is nature. But once we get saved, we're not hogs anymore, all right? Anyway. So, we have that nature. And that that nature is dead. And that nature is to go away from God. So, but thankfully, if we're risen with Christ, we're not there anymore. And so the next part of this point is what we are through Christ, what we are now. Verse 4 of Ephesians 2. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. And yes, it's true what what Jan shared in her little testimony of the Scripture 9. We do not change the love of God by anything we do or don't do. He loves us with an everlasting love. But what we do change, of course, is, is God's blessing and God's favor on our life so when we walk with him and we're going to see that a little bit more brought out in our passage tonight but his great love and I don't know about you but I need to stop every now and then probably every day and just reflect upon that upon God's great love where he loved us Even when we were dead in sin. See, God didn't first love us because we were so good and because. No, God loved us when we were dead in sin. Hath quickened us. He's made us alive. He's borned us. He's regenerated us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And again, I'm sure Paul just loves to inject that. And, not only that, He's raised us up together. Now, that's what it means when Paul. In, in Colossians, talks about risen with Christ. He hath raised us up together and hath, and, and rather made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, so. We're, we're, we're already there. We are, we are reserved. We have a reserved place. And it's as if we're already there. That's how sure it is. There is no way that a child of God can be lost or miss heaven. It's, we're reserved there. Alright? And he's raised us up together. And the, the Bible <clears throat> talks about that. We're going to get to another passage in just a minute on that. But notice this. He's made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, that is after the rapture, you know, after, for eternity, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So that tells us that one, at least one thing that's going to be done, that God's going to do for us in eternity, he's going to show all of his riches to us. Everything that it has to do with his grace to us. And I don't know, the Bible doesn't say a lot about what that's all about. But it's going to be great. It's going to be marvelous. And then these great verses. all oh, these marvelous verses. What? For by grace, verse 8, are you saved through faith. Notice that most of the more modern English translations translate that for by grace, you were saved. Or something like that. But understand why they leave it in the in the in the present tense of the King James because you were you were saved fifty years ago you you are and you you are saved every day after that you are saved you are saved you are saved and so that's the idea there of that verb is that something that happened in the past but continues right? through faith by grace of course that's God's unmerited favor nothing to earn it nothing whatsoever. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That is, salvation is not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Right. Nobody, nobody, no one, not one person, will be in heaven and will be able to say, I got here by my own efforts. Nobody. No one should should boast. No, one's, no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus on the good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. See, there you go. There's another one of those passages which the Bible is full of where it talks about our standing. Our standing is in heaven. We're We're, we're reserved there. Um, Our standing is that we're saved by grace through faith. Um, But our state is, in fact, our standing is the fact that we're his workmanship. He works on us. But our state or our practice ought to be good works. Notice that we're saved not by good works. Verse 10. We're saved unto good works. So in other words, God's purpose is, plan for us, is that we will will perform good works after we're saved. Notice this. God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's God's foreordained plan for the believer. There's a lot of stuff. Always there's been a lot of talk over the years about predestination. You know, really, predestination is used about three times in the New Testament. And every time it's about what we will be. It's about what God has prepared us to become. Predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And so here, God has before ordained. And so, the, one way we can picture this in our human terms is God has a finished product in mind for every one of us as a believer. And He's working that in our life. He's working on us. And the idea here, the word workmanship is, is very close to the word masterpiece. So we can say that the Lord is painting us and when he's done with us, when we, especially when we get to heaven, we will be that masterpiece that he has in mind. I mean, we, well, that, well uh, you know, if we think about those things, man, amazing, what he, he's doing this for us. Or we could almost say, like a sculptor. And of course, what's a sculptor have to do? He has to chip away, right? To get that finished product. But that's what he's doing. And that's what he's ordained for us. That's what he's set before us. That's his plan for us. So, so therefore, um, oh, let's go to Romans six. I, I, I almost got ahead of myself. Romans chapter six, because there is another. There's, a, we're kind of hinting at this, but Romans chapter six puts it real plainly about what it means to be risen with Christ and what what the consequences or the result of that that God intends for our life. Um. Romans chapter 6. I want you to notice, as we start verse 1, I'm not going to take time to get into all this, what what Paul is talking about here. Except to say that there is a a very, very loose type of grace that's being proclaimed in our world today. And it was back in those days. Basically this, I'm saved, I can do whatever I want. The more I sin, the more grace I'll get. Believe it or not, there's actually people who teach that. But Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then, verse 1? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So should we keep on sinning so we can get more grace, is what Paul's saying. And he says, God forbid. And that's an expression that means in in no way. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, interesting, is it not, that the Bible says, before we're saved, we're dead in sin, when we get saved, we're dead to sin. In other words, sin has no power over us anymore. Know ye not, verse three, that so many of us as are baptized in Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Now that's talking about that baptism of the Holy Spirit. But notice that when and that is that, that is pictured, and that's why water baptism is so important. It doesn't save us, but it's very important. Because therefore, verse 4, um, let me say before you read the verse, water baptism, among other things, is a picture of what is taking place in our life already. So water baptism is a picture of spirit baptism in, in this sense. Notice, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. So when a person is baptized, so let's, let's, take, let's look at the illustration now. All right? Whenever we have the great privilege, and it is a great privilege, probably other than leading people to Christ, my favorite thing is to baptize people. But when a person is put under the water, and I say this, buried in the likeness of his death, because that's the first part. Baptism is identifying with the death and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't hold him under this long, but um, let's keep him under for a little while. All right. It's like, so it's... It also means that 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 pictures the fact that not only identifying with Christ in his death, but the fact that I'm dying to my old life. My old life is being buried, right? Now hang on, we'll see that in this passage. So then I say that. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Notice this. It says, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And that's why before we baptize somebody, I you know we meet together and all those things and we present them to deacons, first of all, then to the church, but then when they're going to be baptized, before, before we baptize somebody, I ask them these questions. Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior? And is it your desire to follow Him in believers' baptism? And is it your desire to walk in newness of life? And then it's your desire to be, to unite with this local church. And you know, the, and I want them, you know, we go through those questions ahead of time, explain what they mean. And everybody, I've never had anybody say no to any of those things. Um, anyway, so, even so we should walk in newness of life. Now here's verse, notice verse five, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of a death, his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man, that is our old self, our old life, is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So so that being risen with Christ is being, is being, is being raised to a new life. Walk, again, whenever we read that word walk, it's all talking about our practical, everyday, our life, our conduct, our behavior. So God wants us to walk in newness of life. And let me say, let me say, its, it's the great. It's great to walk in newness of life. It really is. So we can read more. Um, we'll come back to this passage in just a moment. So if we are risen with Christ, if we're saved, then these there are things that should be natural for us because now we have a new nature. We have a regenerated spirit, we have a new nature. All right, so that brings me to the second thing, and that is this, right-seeking. All right, let's go back to Colossians. Um, Right-seeking, certain things are natural for us. And so, um, Paul's gonna mention, in Colossians chapter three, he says, seek those things which are above. Colossians 3, one. Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So, in other words, there, there are and these, these are heavenly things which are available to us and that we should seek. Right? The word seek here is, has the idea of look for seek out, try to obtain, desire to possess, strive for. Again, we don't, we don't work for our salvation, but our, we, we, the Bible says in the Philippians to work out our salvation. Work out that, that, that which is in within, that has within. And there are things we're to work for and strive for and seek for in our life. All right? And I have written down here like um, about six things. And we're just going to, I'll give you the list. Um, Seeking those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Number one, we're to seek a deeper knowledge of Christ. We should seek to know him better. That is especially what God's word says about him. I'm not talking about the deeper life that people talk about today outside the scriptures and all that. No, inside the scripture. um, For example, 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're to grow in that knowledge of Him. Know more about Him. So many hymns we could have sung tonight, but that one, more about Jesus would I know. More about Jesus. that's, That's a great example of what we're talking about here. Number two, a closer fellowship with Christ. Closer. As He speaks to us through the Word, as we speak to God in prayer, as we worship, praise, and thank Him, which includes singing to Him. all right. And so the question, um, do you ever do that? You know, not just here, not just within these walls, but in the home, on the road, um, wherever you are, do you find yourself humming or whistling or, or breaking into song for the Lord? We ought to. He puts a song in our heart. But fellowship with Him. This also, is in, this also increases as we walk. In obedience to Him and serve Him, the same book of Colossians, chapter two, six and seven, says, "As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, bounding therein with thanksgiving." So fellowship with Christ every day, and and singing to Him. Again, we talked. There's singing is mentioned in the Old Testament as well, the New Testament. There are times Jesus and his disciples sang. Um, David and other psalmists wrote about singing to the Lord. And, it, and they're not just in the temple, or not just a Tabernacle, but everywhere. I remember one time years ago, being at a men's retreat, being challenged by with this question, how often do you sing to the Lord? And this pastor, preacher, even encouraged us that when we have our Bible time, have a hymn book too. And I've got a couple, one particular devotion book that... Sometimes they'll end the devotion by saying, sing this hymn, all right? And so, sing to the Lord. We need to do that. Um, number three, we need to seek his power in victory over sin. All right, let's look at Romans real quick. Romans chapter six. A lot of verses we can look at. I just want to give you one verse, all right? Romans chapter six and verse 14. All right? Power, victory over sin. Romans 6.14 simply says this, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. We have to believe that. We have to walk in that. And don't allow the world, the flesh, or the devil to tell us otherwise. And don't go for that lie of the devil. Oh, everybody's got a sin. I've had people tell me that. I know I drink, I know I smoke, but you know what? Everybody's got to sin sometime. No, we don't. Sin shall not have dominion over you. So victory over sin. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, number 4, is development of godly virtues. All right? develop. These are things you need to seek for. We need to, to develop godly virtues in our life. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is, mentions how he prays. Okay? He prays for... The, the Ephesian believers. In verse Ephesians three fourteen it says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth all knowledge that ye might be filled with the, all the fullness of God. So everything that Paul prays for the Ephesians here has this as its goal. That they, and of course that we, might be filled with all the fullness of God. Right? All the fullness of God is the idea that the life of character and virtues of God himself may be fully developed in us or in them in and us. And that's a quote from King James Study Bible notes, which is very, very helpful. So when it talks about being filled with all the fullness of God, it's that the life, character, and virtues of God Himself would be fully developed in the believer. Alright, you can I hope you'll search that out more because that's that's a that is a that is a principle of the word of God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, nevertheless I live yet in the night, but Christ liveth in me. And there's more to that than just the spirit of God indwelling us. God and Christ and the Holy Spirit desire that he live his life through our life and that he be manifested that way. That's what Ephesians 3.19 is all about. All right, number five, this would be We also ought to seek an effectual prayer life. An effectual prayer life. All right, James 5.16, you probably know the verse. Some of you might be able to quote it. Um, uh, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So effectual fervent prayer, it's the idea of a prayer that works in us and then works out of us. It's the idea of a prayer that accomplishes much. All right? And the example of Elijah is given. Remember Elijah. He prayed that it wouldn't rain. It says right here in the passage. Let me read right here in James. Elias, or Elijah, was a man, verse 17, subject to like passions as we are. He prayed earnestly earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth brought forth her fruit. I would encourage you to go back um, for time's sake, we won't do it tonight. But back in First Kings 18, first of all, he prayed that God would send down the fire on the Mount on, on Mount Carmel, and then he prayed for rain. And he sent his servant to look. Remember, seven times it says Elijah knelt with his face between his knees, and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And finally, the seventh time, the servant came back and said, "There's a cloud about the size of a fist, of a man's fist," and then the rain came. And God, Elijah said, to Eli- he had, "Hey, you better get moving." Your chariot's gonna get stuck in the mud if you don't. And of course, Elijah outran. That's a whole wonderful, but but it was through his e- effectual fervent prayer. He just didn't pray, oh, Lord, we need some rain. Well, it looks like it's not gonna happen, so I'll go on for, to do something else. No, he, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed, and, and God answered. All right, number six. We need to look, strive for and seek for faithfulness or to be an effective witness for the Lord. Colossians chapter 4 and we're honestly we're just about finished. Colossians chapter number 4 um, it says this. Colossians 4 starting verse 5 walk in wisdom toward them that are without that is those that are outside really those who are without Christ redeeming the time let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. And so I just jotted down these things about what verse 6 says. Say the right thing at the right time in the right way. All right, Speaking the truth in love ought to be our motto and our practice. Put all these six things together, it adds up to Christian maturity. All right, And that's what the Lord wants in our life. And then there's right affections. We don't have to say much about this because it's talking about the same thing, right? The very same list. So in verse 2, or verse 1, seek those things that are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Colossians 3 2, set your affection on things above. Now it's the same thing. Verse 1, it's those things that are above. Verse 2, it's things above. Same thing. Not on things on the earth. So set your affection, that's one, there's, that's one word, set affection on, is one word in the Greek and it means to think on, to regard, to set one's mind on, to have a certain attitude towards. So it's the idea that our minds focus and our set ought to be on things above, not on things on the earth. And so basically, again, it's the same. So we're, we're talking about seeking, In verse number one and verse two, we're talking about seeking the right things but with the right attitude with our affections on heavenly things, not earthly things. And then two reasons to do this and we're done, all right? It says, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So that's reason number one, all that we have in the Lord. We're dead. That life, our life is gone. We no longer hold the, to title deed to our life and and soul, spirit, soul, and body. The little word hid has the idea that our this risen life, this salvation, is hidden, stored, or deposited in and with Christ. Again, I read this statement in the King James Study Bible notes on Colossians 3.3, and I quote, your life is deposited with Christ who is in intimate relation with God as all wisdom and knowledge resides in Christ, Colossians 2.3, So the believer's new life is stored up in him. This means that the Christian life belongs to the spiritual or heavenly realm. Jesus Christ is in intimate relationship with God. So are his followers. Since the Colossians now belong to the heavenly realm and are in intimate fellowship, relationship with God, they should seek those matters and interests pertaining to heaven and not to earth. All right, very clear. And then secondly, what we have in Christ is then our, our anticipation in Christ, verse four, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. We will be with him. we shall ever be with the Lord, according to first thessalonians four seventeen that's a marvelous fact, but beyond that we also will be glorified. And really, that's what shall appear with him in glory means that we're going to be glorified like he is. Philippians uh, 3.21 talks about who that Jesus shall change our vile body, that is our earthly corrupt, in that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. That's our prospect. We're going to have that someday. Alright? So, Therefore, the Bible goes on to say, and we're not going to go through this at all tonight, so verses 1 through 4 tell us basically what we're supposed to put on. We're supposed to seek and set our affection on heavenly things. And then from verses 5 uh, down to verse 9, it talks about the things we're to get rid of. In fact, in verse 5, we're to kill off. It says, mortify, therefore, your members on earth. And then the last thing I want to mention is this. In Matthew 6.33, for time's sake, I'll just quote it. But seek ye ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The things that we as earthly and Americans tend to put all the emphasis on, food, clothing, life, all that. You know, the Lord says, now put me first, seek the kingdom of God first and these things will be added. By the way, the word seek is exactly the same word as in Colossians. To seek after. And the word in in Matthew, when it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, the word first has a double meaning. It It means both earlier than, and it means above all. So in other words, we should seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness before all and above all. If we do this... By the way, everything we've talked about tonight, these are all commands. These are not suggestions or options. They're all commands. We're commanded to seek those things above. We're commanded to set our affection. We're commanded to seek first the kingdom of God. If we do this, then of course we please God and we receive blessings now. In fact, this is talking about now. If we don't do these things, obviously we displease God and we rob ourselves of blessing. And sometimes people wonder why, are, why is my life like that. We'll examine examine our lives and see if it lines up. God won't bless disobedience, and so and He blesses obedience. All right. And therefore, also we need to keep eternity always before us. All right. Christ could come before we even say Amen at the end of the service. We're going to be with Him. All right. So so anyway praise the lord he's he's provided all this for us so may god help us and man i know we went through a lot and went through it quickly but i hope it at least encourages you to to think about look into some of these things more some of you have known the lord even longer than i have and you've walked with the lord longer but this is for you it's meant to be an encouragement for those who are kind of starting out this is you need to understand this and um, that this is what God expects of us. This is what he demands of us as Christians. Father in heaven, our great God, thank you so much for this time we could spend in the precious word of God, looking at these things, and maybe, for, for maybe a reminder for the most part. But Father, these things were a great encouragement and a challenge to me in studying and preparation, and I trust that they'll be the same to everyone here tonight, from the youngest up to the oldest, Lord. Help us in these things. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, let's take our head books. and two hundred or three hundred thirty-two. Ephesians talks two. Ephesians chapter two talks about the great love that God had and has for us, and we love Him because He personally loves us. And I'll tell you what, one of the reasons I stick to the King James Bible is that verse in 1 John 4, 19, all the New English translations leave out him. We love because He first loved us. No, we love Him because He first loved us. Anyway, there's, I, don't, I don't harp on that very often, but once in a while, I mean you're not very bad, All right. 3.32, let's stand. He's, my Jesus, I love Thee. Let's sing all four verses. Think about Think about these these great verses that just our our brother who's been been with the Lord a long time William uh, Featherston wrote these words, and Iron Gordon wrote the music. Serve the King of Kings, to walk with you, the things that we looked at tonight, those things that the Word of God tells us to seek. May they be manifest in each of our lives. Please watch over everyone as they go to their homes tonight. Please clear the way and pray in Jesus' name.